The scripture reading this morning will be from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down to verses 16 through 20. Again, that's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, verses 1 through 5, and 16 through 20. You can find this in your pew Bibles on page 183 and page 184. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now it should come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be, uh, shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now to 16 through 20. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on, on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do, until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly, because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We do, as already has been done this morning in our prayers, want to be mindful of those that are hurting. We do have so many families that have suffered losses recently, and let's be sure to continue to be praying for them and to be supportive in every way that we can to comfort and encourage them. Uh, We do want to continue in our prayers to remember uh, the mission efforts that are taking place uh, continuing this week through the end of the week. Thus far in Santa Elena, uh, El Salvador, there have been four baptisms and four restorations and a lot of good seeds sown that the hopes and prayers is that uh, the responses will continue. It's great to already see maturity in the church this year versus last year. And uh, there's a lot of good news that we can talk about at another occasion about the work that's taking place there. Do keep in mind the directory. Uh, It can't be complete without you. And so if you've made appointments, be sure and and be there. And if you haven't made an appointment yet, be sure and check on that and see what you can do to be a part of our directory. An older lady would go out every morning. She'd stand on her front porch. She'd say, praise the Lord. Well, there was an atheist that moved in next door. And as he would hear this each morning, it would infuriate him. So finally, he got to the point that every time she would say, praise the Lord, he'd raise his window and he would yell out, there is no God. Well, this continued to go on for quite some time. And finally, one morning, the lady went out and she said, praise the Lord. And Lord, I'm starving. I have no food. The next morning, she went out and she opened the door. She looked down and there were two bags filled with groceries. She stepped over the bags and she looked up. She said, praise the Lord and Lord, thank you for supplying these groceries. And the atheist had been hiding behind the bush. And he jumped up and he said, aha, I proved to you there is no Lord. I'm the one that gave you those groceries. 
She immediately looked back up to the heavens and she says, praise the Lord. Thank you for giving me these groceries, God, and letting the devil pay for them. (laughs) Now, when we think about the battle or the conflict between righteousness and wickedness or good and evil, it's been going on ever since the very beginning of time as we read in Genesis, the third chapter. And as we think about this battle, we see that it not only is a battle of good and evil, but it is a battle between God and against Satan. But it's one that we wrestle with. And we must realize that not only do we choose our God, we in doing that choose our way of life. And when we choose that, we must realize that there are always consequences. There's always responsibilities that we bear in those decision-making factors. And if I choose God, I in turn choose a life that will be blessed by God. If I choose to disobey God, I have chosen a life that will suffer the curses of one that has chosen a life to live against God. The great book of Deuteronomy will be our study for today. The truth is this morning we will just lay the very introduction of groundwork of the book of Deuteronomy. And tonight we'll come and and we'll look at some quick highlights throughout the book and then spend quite a bit of time in two chapters in relating to the text that has already been capably read this morning. Deuteronomy is the book of the Old Testament that's quoted more in the New Testament than any other book. It is a book that when we look at the Hebrew meaning of the name that was originally given to it, it simply meant the word. And if you look at the very beginning of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, the first chapter in verse 1, it says, These are the words which Moses spake to all of Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. Picture, if you will, with me, the second generation of Israelites that they are standing on the edge of the Jordan. Moses has led a group of Israelites to this point before. And it was at that point that those lost faith. And it was at that point that those were punished, sent back to the wilderness. It was a funeral march for them because all that were adults would die. It would only be the younger generation and their descendants that would be led back up to this point a second time. This is what the whole entire book of Deuteronomy is about. It's where he says to them, I want to remind you of some things that happened to your fathers before you. I want to remind you of the law that you're going to have to live by if you're going to obey the theme of Deuteronomy, if you're going to obey God. And closing out the book, he says, I want to give you some motivation for why you ought to obey God. So the Greek description of Deuteronomy is second law. Now, that's not saying that Moses was giving them another law. He's leading this next generation back up to this same point, and he's giving the law another time. Many of them would have been children when they had remembered coming to this point. Some of them would not have even been born when they had come to this point earlier, their forefathers. And so it is. We consider this great book of Deuteronomy. But let us drop back and let us look at the actual a record of the forefathers falling away as we look back in the book of Numbers. And then we're going to go to the very beginning of Deuteronomy 1 and see 
how Moses used this as a starting point for the second law, for the book of Deuteronomy. Drop back with me, if you will, in Numbers, the 13th chapter. If you have your pew Bible, that's on 132. We're going to mention just a few verses here that the actual verses won't be on the screen. This is the point in time where, keep in mind what all the children of Israel had seen up to this point. They had seen the ten plagues, which were really tremendous miracles performed by the hand of the Almighty God. They had been to the edge of that sea, and they had seen the Egyptians coming after them, and they had seen those waters parted. And can you imagine the miracle it was to walk across, and then for the last child of Israel to look back and to see those waters cave in upon the Egyptian soldiers? They had seen these miracles. And so now they come to this very edge where all they have to do is to maintain faith in God. That even though they themselves are not trained warriors, God has been doing all of these things for them. And now God is going to give them a land as they move forward according to God's will. Now, as we consider this, in Numbers the 13th chapter, the decision is made to send out 12 spies, one from each tribe. And so that happens. And as they come back in, they give a very wicked report, scanning some things in 27 and 28 and 29. They did say that it was true, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But then they described in 28 that the land was with people that were strong. The cities were fortified and very large, and the descendants were of Anak, which were giants. And in 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land, and he mentions the Hittites and Amorites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites. And he's mentioning all these different people to point out, look how many different nationalities, meaning that each one of these have warriors. What are we getting into, in other words, is, is the picture that they're painting. Caleb speaks up by faith. Now keep in mind, he was one of the 12 spies. He had seen all of the enemies, and he had seen all of the power of the enemies. But now he makes a statement by faith, not by sight. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. And the people grow angry. They believe only the bad report. And so then... We see in 30, at the very end of 32, it says, And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Now notice, we're putting emphasis here on whether they see something or whether they have faith in God. And so let's read this next verse. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. And so they decide not to go based purely, solely upon the fact of what they saw. They started making decisions based completely on what they see. I need to make a time out here of application in my life. And you see if you need to make this in your life. It's so easy for me to make decisions on what I see. And it's so dangerous because when I do that, it's showing a lack of faith. Friends, when my faith in God doesn't matter and what does matter is what I can see, when I can say to myself, I see this, I can understand this, this makes sense to me, but yet God's Word, God's uh, will, God's power is saying something else, but yet I'm much more comfortable with, with what I can see rather than what I should believe. There's problems in my life. And so we have a plea from Caleb and, and Joshua both. 
As we go over in the 14th chapter, notice verse 9. And, and the reason we're especially reading this verse, notice how this is described. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do you see what their plea is? Plea is number one, let's not rebel. Anytime we start living by sight and not by faith, we are rebelling against the commands of God. And then finally, at the close there, verse 9, the point was, the Lord is with us. This becomes a very significant factor in the discussion here. And even as Moses goes back in Deuteronomy and he says, I want to refresh your memory of some things that happened with your forefathers. And over and over, Moses is driving home the point that they were operating by sight Not by faith. God has spoken and you rebelled against it. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the first chapter, and let's see some things out of Deuteronomy, the first chapter. In other words, because they became people that were faithless, this led, obviously, to rebellion. It's impossible to move away from God and it not be anything but rebellion. And so when we look in Deuteronomy, the first chapter, beginning of verse 19... We see Moses recounting. Again, I want to remind you, this is the second generation of the children of Israel that are standing here. But he says, I want to remind you what happened with the first generation when they came to this point. And so he begins describing to them, especially beginning at 19. And then at 26, notice what he says. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. Obedience is emphasized so many times in Deuteronomy. And so that's why we see so many times the descriptive terms of the commands of the Lord or the statutes of the Lord. And so here were some individuals that that Moses reminds them that they rebelled, not just against God, but he makes it real clear. They rebelled against the commands of God. Now, he talks about their complaining in their tents in 27, even saying that, that God must hate us. What a terrible complaint. They had just seen what God did to bring them them out of bondage, their forefathers. They had heard what God did in parting the waters. They'd seen how God had taken care of them, and now they're going to accuse God of hating us. Isn't it interesting that sometime when we begin to lose faith, we begin to rebel against God, we also begin to blame God. But you know, we do that even in our human nature with human authority in our life. How many times have we done something that was disobedient at school or in the workplace or even in our communities illegally? And all of a sudden, now that we are the guilty ones, we are the one that has rebelled against a command. Then we start blaming the authoritative figures. Well, the teachers are just unfair. We don't understand. I work for a supervisor that just hates me. If he didn't hate me, if she didn't hate me, I I wouldn't have this problem. Well, I tell you what, it's just our judicial system. Our judicial system's unfair. Just note that. Just, just put that in your mind. It's amazing how many people will do wrong and then immediately start blaming authority for their wrong. These people had done wrong. They rebelled against God and they went back to their tent and who'd they complain about? I feel so guilty. We have really lost faith. No, they didn't do that at all. I tell you the problem here, God hates us. That's the problem. No, that wasn't the problem at all. They were really beginning to live a life of rebellion. And notice what he says in 28. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, 
The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are greater and fortified up in heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Now, if you, if you do underline in your Bible, this isn't the sermon for today. But you might want to come back and study this one. Underline that phrase, our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Ten spies went out and they brought back a report that they gave the facts. The facts were there were fortified cities. There were many nationalities of the enemy. There were giants there. But you know what they did with those facts? They turned the facts and presented them in such a way because they had lost faith. They wanted the rest of Israel to lose faith also. They discouraged. How many times have you heard someone say, well, if it's the truth, it's not gossip. Where's that come from? It comes from a gossiper that wants to continue gossiping and not feel guilty about gossiping. The brethren discourage their hearts. Friends, what do you do with knowledge? What do you do with facts? Do you take all knowledge and facts and try to use them in such a way to build people up? Or do you use knowledge and facts in a way to tear others down? We have to decide what we'll do. And we'll never find God approving of us using something, whether it's true or false, to tear down the church. And so we see here, their problem was that they rebelled, they were discouraged, they were listening to the wrong people. And now, if you will, note this in the first chapter, in verse 34, God has enough of it. And uh, the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry, and He took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men... Of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. What can we always count on about God? God is faithful. God is just. God's not going to overlook one person's sins here and hold another accountable here. God is just. So what must He do now? The children of Israel were losing faith. He has to hold them accountable. And so this first generation, He says, I tell you what, I can't give a land that's been promised to the faithful to people that aren't faithful. You're going to have to go out, and I'm going to let all of you die off. And when we raise up a generation that's stronger than you are, we're going to bring them back, and we're going to allow them to have the opportunity to have this land of promise. And think about that, a land of promise, as we think about blessings and curses today. That ties in, if you have your Bible open, to the end of verse 11, where he says, And bless you as he has promised you. You see, God promises blessings to those that obey. God promises curses to those that disobey. This isn't just an Old Testament theme. We're studying an Old Testament example today, but it runs true for as time as, for as long as time stands. And so as we look again now in verse 35, notice he says, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land. He's promising that he's going to punish them in this. So we see the rebellion punished. We must stay aware of the fact that not only will we stand on the day of judgment and we'll give an account for the life that we've lived, but we begin even on this earth to enjoy blessings or curses. We don't have to wait to judgment to experience those things. And that's really what stands out in the book of Deuteronomy. The pleas that he makes of blessings and curses, ultimately the greatest responsibility or the greatest um, acceptance of the ultimate goal would be that of heaven or hell. But there's so much about day-to-day living and how it blesses families, and how it blesses congregations, how it blesses communities when we obey God's will. And then the curses that come in to individuals, to families, to churches, and to communities when we leave the will of God. 
So they decided to leave the will of God. And as they did, something interesting happens. Uh, you might have seen something like this happen even with a child uh, that is being punished. Uh, I want to I set the stage for you, and then, then we're going to read beginning at 41 here in a moment. Have you ever seen, for example, a child that, let's just say that the child was, was supposed to, uh, he's working with his father out in the backyard and they were raking leaves. And, and let's say that the father said, now I'm going to go around the front and rake, and you go ahead and bag these leaves in the back. Father goes around the house, he works for a little while, he comes out to the back and he sees that, that the child's not doing what he's been asked to do. Instead, he's playing basketball. And the father says, I tell you what, uh, since you've done wrong, I want you to go sit in your, in your room for a couple hours. And uh, don't do anything. No electronics. Just sit there. Just stay in your room for a couple hours and think about the wrong that you did. Think about what you should be doing. So the father goes right around the front yard and he continues working. He comes back around to the backyard and what does he find? He finds his child is not in his room. His child now is bagging up the leaves. The father says, what are you doing? I thought I told you to go to your room. He says, oh, no, no, no. You asked me to bag these leaves. I'm, I'm doing exactly what you said. Now, parenting 101. Is the child obeying or not? Maybe weak parents would say, well, at least, at least you're doing something productive. I, I, thank you for doing that. Oh, no. That child now is not only rebelling, they're throwing it in your face. That child now is saying, not only can I do what I want to do, even when you try to stop me, you can't stop me from doing what I want to do. The children of Israel had grown so rebellious, that first generation that went there. I want you to notice carefully, let every phrase absorb as you think about beginning at 41. Then you answered. Now he, he tells them to go out. They've got to go back out in the wilderness. That's the command from God. Now look at 41. Then you answered and said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight. Just as the Lord our God commanded us. Now keep in mind, verse 41 follows the verses where God told Moses and Moses told the people they've got to go back out into the wilderness. But now they're talking as if God didn't say anything. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said to him, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. And that's a significant phrase here. God's giving them another warning. Moses, I see them strapping on their weapons. I want you to go and remind them of this. They're going to go up that mountain, and I am not with them at this point. Lest you be defeated before your enemies. So, speaking of Moses, so I spoke to you. Yet you would not listen. The heart of disobedience. But rebelled. That's the actual disobedience against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And 44, 45, and 46 talks about the Amorites chasing them down that mountain just like bees would chase someone. Now, if you've ever been uh, swarmed by some bees or yellow jackets or hornets, you've got a story to tell because you'll do anything to get away from that. Uh, when I was in 
uh, well, I just graduated from college, and that was the days of a little bit longer hair, and definitely longer than mine is now, and I had that little fro going, and I was on top of a roof one time taking some shingles off, and I hit a hornet's nest, and, and long hornets began to stick in my uh, in my hair and sting me over and over. I ran the ridge of that house two or three times, and finally they had stung me enough that I knew jumping off a house was a lot safer than staying on top of that house at that point. And I just remember running to the lowest end of the house and just jumping uh, to escape. And, and the rest of the day, my face was so swollen. And, and it, can you imagine the children of Israel? What did they do? They were running like they were being chased by a swarm of bees. Why? Note this. It's so simple, but note this. In other words, God has said, if you'll go up that mountain and fight for me, I'm with you. I'll bless you. Oh, no, 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 no. We have seen with our eyes the giants, the fortified cities, the number of enemies. We're not going. Okay, well then, accept your punishment for rebellion. Go back out into the wilderness. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going out in the wilderness. We're going to go up the mountain and fight. I need to remind you, I'm not with you any longer. If you go up on that mountain. Well, that's fine, God. We don't need you. We've got our weapons on. We'll go take that mountain. How comfortable are you to live a life when God says, I'm not among you? If you listed your friends, does God live among your friends? And if not, why are they your friends? Are you real comfortable living where God is not among them. Your workplace. I've heard people say, you don't understand how wicked my workplace is. It's an ungodly environment. That always makes me stop and scratch my head. Why do you choose to go in and spend 40 or 50 hours a week in a place where God is not? That makes no sense to me. Why do you choose to do that? Your activities. Friday night, Saturday night. Your entertainment. Is God there? Why would we choose to be about something that God is not? Friends, it's a foolish thing to say, I'm comfortable going where God is not. I'm comfortable working every day where God is not. I'm comfortable being entertained by things that has nothing to do with holiness or righteousness. The children of Israel, the second generation is led up to Jordan. And Moses begins the book of Deuteronomy by saying, I just want to remind you of the faithlessness of your fathers. How comfortable they were to go where I am not. Friends, this morning... Let's make sure that we want to take every step in our life with God. When we think about our friends, let's choose friends that's going to help us stay with God. When we think about our daily schedule, let's choose a schedule that's going to help us stay close to God. 
When we think about the abilities that, that we have, that God's given us, how we're going to use these abilities, let's make sure that we use them in ways that's going to keep us close to God. And let's make sure that we would never be like that first generation that grew comfortable rebelling against God. And the reason they did it was because they lived by sight and not by faith. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and verse 7. Paul is laying the groundwork throughout that paragraph to talk about being ready to stand on the day of judgment, being ready to give up life on this earth. And in the middle of that discussion there, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul wrote in Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When you and I can say, I want to know what God says about it, And I want to walk in that way. Even when I can't see with my own eyes how it's going to work out. One more application and we extend the invitation. How many times have we said, Well, I know what's right, but I just don't see how that could ever be best. All of us have been there. All of us have been in a situation where it appears that the best thing we could do would be lie. All of us have been in a situation where where it seems that the best thing we could do is do what is wrong. You see, now we're being tested. What are we going to do? Are we going to live by faith where we say, I know what the right thing is, and I don't have to see it with my own eyes. I'll still walk by faith. This morning, let's be faithful people, not rebellious. Let's be people that come to God And stay with God every step of the way. Let's come back tonight and we'll see some examples of tremendous blessings that come into the lives of people that stay close to God. If you've never been baptized in Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you do that today? It's a step of faith. It's a step in the right direction because it's taking a step with God to do His will. Someone says, I just don't see how all this is going to work out. You won't. You won't ever see as a Christian how your life is going to truly unfold, but we trust God. We obey God. We put our life in God's hands and we let the great creator mold our life. And you know what? He'll always do a far better job with our life than what we would do with our life. Every time. If you've been baptized with Christ, but yet you've kind of taken your own life back and you've lived it your way and you wanting to come back and live it with God. Let's make sure that we all leave here this morning. Living by faith and not by sight. If we can help you in any